Hello, everyone. We all know what that sound means, don't we? Yes, that's right. The good ship at Cool Room is ready to set sail on another exciting adventure on the seven seas of beery goodness. We're up to episode 117. Uh, we're in for a real treat tonight as we're joined by not one, not two, not three, but four fantastic characters from Lupulin Brewing out of Minnesota. Uh, the guys are incredibly generous with their time given it's late on a Friday night that we sit down to record. A particular shout out to Jack who sit round, uh, sits around with us for many hours after the episode uh, and has a great yarn. Uh, we really hope that you get to enjoy this episode and that we hope that you enjoy it with the beers from our January pack. Uh, pretty much sold out, but shit, check the Shopify. Uh, make sure you don't miss out. Um, if you're listening to this and you're in Melbourne, Australia, uh, we're going to have our first live show for a long, long time on Sunday the 23rd of January at the Flemington and Kensington Bowls Club. And we'd love you to come along. Uh, check our Facebook events for the details about that one. Uh, but essentially, we're going to be sitting down with some of our favourite beers from 2021 and some of the beers that are highly rated in the Gab's Hottest 100 count, which takes place the day before. And we're going to sit down and do a blind tasting of those beers. You'll be able to put your taste buds to the test alongside other cool rumours. Uh, it is a ticketed event because we'll be supplying the alcohol and we need to make sure that we know how much we need to have ready to go. So please RSVP and again, grab your tickets for that one from our Shopify. While you're on the Shopify, check out uh, the tasting pack for a very, very special uh, event that we've got coming up on the 17th of February, which is a Thursday night uh, in Melbourne time. We're going to have St Barnardus uh, from Belgium on. Uh, I'm sure they're going to be able to correct my pronunciation uh, when we get to that. Uh, but one of the uh, most notable breweries anywhere in the world, uh, and we're hugely honoured to be joined by them. Uh, that one will be uh, another great live event on Zoom, but you'll only be able to come along if you've tasted, uh, if you've bought the tasting pack, so that you can taste the beers as we discuss them. So again, uh, just Google Cool Room Shopify, and you'll be able to uh, grab the pack and enjoy that live. Um, if you're a fan of the podcast version of things, well, we hope that you're enjoying those. Uh, obviously, feel free to grab the beers so that you can taste along as we discuss them. And uh, while you're showing your enjoyment of the podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or Shopify, Spotify even, wherever it might be that you're listening to the podcast. Uh, that just helps us to get the word out there. Uh, okay, as is a cool room tradition, we're going to kick off uh, having so many guests in the cool room by asking the guys from Lupulin to introduce each other. First of all, thanks uh, to the Cool Room gang for having us. It's a pleasure. Uh, as David said, it's Friday night here in the Midwest of the USA. Uh, we've been working hard all week, making beer, drinking beer, having fun. And what a great way to end our week and kick off our weekend uh, hanging out with you folks. We're super excited. <laughs> We've got with us uh, our co-founder, President Jeff Ziert, uh, Jay-Z. Uh, he's in my corner on the screen, wherever you are. So uh, Jeff and I have been working together since almost day one here at Lupin, back in 2015-ish, 16-ish. Uh, yeah. Jeff's favorite Lupin beer. 
if I had to guess, would probably be Blissful Ignorance. Uh, it's <laughs> it's most of our favorites here. Uh, we'll get to that beer uh, after the first one, and you'll know why after that. Um, outside of Lupin and Beers, I know Jeff is a big Belgian guy. Delirium, he likes. Uh, I, I, I think he's a lot like me, though, where he can appreciate really any well-crafted beer um, mm-hmm. that has a story, a purpose, a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It's always there we important. Go. It's always important just to sort of see how right you get things. So, so Jack, yeah. you've passed the job yeah. interview for the afternoon. Yeah. Jeff was nodding a lot there. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, Jack, uh, Jack was actually a big, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a fanboy. Um, originally when we first, <laughs> when we first announced that, uh, Lupulin Brewing was, uh, coming to Big Lake in uh, 2014, I think Jack was one of the first ones to start following our post and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and Jack, uh, joined us as, uh, first came in as, did you come in as a beer tender or a brand ambassador? Can that um, I came I think- in helping out uh with various things for uh beer right <laughs> and then right, you because uh, amy something legally uh so oh it, yeah uh, i started uh bartending beer tending and then yes. yeah so then jack's I, been yeah so so like I, I i can never remember so uh i just know that jack's been a big fan of ours since the beginning jack was actually employee number two the first the second employee that we actually paid because <laughs> Matt and I, as the co-founders, we didn't take any pay and we were actually working full-time jobs. And so Jack was um, number two. He came in, um, joined the company full-time in 2016. So um, less than a year after we started, he actually came in as a it's fitting to his name. He was a jack of all trades at that point. Um, we brought him in to, actually work in the tap room, managing our tap room. Um, he did some, uh, administrative, uh, financial stuff with paying the bills, working with myself. And, uh, he actually started dabbling in some of our sales originally. And, uh, when we first, then when we, uh, um, canned our first, uh, beer, which was the blissful ignorance that we'll get into here in 2017, um, Jack, uh, moved into the sales manager role and, Jack's been uh, growing our, and building that team since uh, for the last four years and, and going on five years, uh, leading that team in that effort. So I would say, yeah, Jack is, uh, Jack is uh, a great uh, asset to the company. He's been with us long-term. Um, uh, you know, as far as Jack's favorite beer, man, I just know he likes IPAs. I don't think it matters what IPA it is. I'll come up and see him in his office. He may be drinking a triple IPA or a double IPA or just a regular IPA, but he likes IPAs all in general, which is yep. very fitting. Um, I've actually uh, haven't really ever seen him drink any anything besides lukewarm. So um, I can't yeah. really can't <laughs> yeah. really say. His uh, his favorite beer was uh, outside of uh, outside of Lupulin. I do know that if you go outside of the, of the beer scene, he does like a good uh, a bourbon, you know. Mm-hmm. So, my uh, 
favorite is probably Blissful. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I like all beers. I, I'm mostly an ale, IPA kind of guy, traditionally. Awesome. Yeah, so, so I was going to say we can turn it over to uh, maybe Mike. Mike uh, talking about Justin or Justin talking about Mike. Sure. I mean, so I, I can I can do a quick intro. Mike Mike is uh, he can talk about himself, or Justin can talk about. Him, no, but Mike joined. Do the uh, intro on Mike. Don't step on this. Oh, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, man. Go go for it, man. I want to drink no, a beer. Actually, you, would... you 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 go through his bio, man. I would love to. So <laughs> when I started Lubulin, that was actually three years ago, almost to the day. Uh, Mike had been working there for a little while, and. Mike is our lead brewer, and he takes care of all things production side, everything that you see, Blissful, CPB, Huey. Mike's got his dirty little paws in all of it. <laughs> we couldn't do it without him. We absolutely need Mike, and he is, the, he is one of the most important cogs that we have in our system here at Luke Lynn. He's taught me... Probably most of the stuff that I've known or that I now know about brewing um, coming in, I was uh, mainly uh, just a kind of stovetop home brewer with a science background. And I genuinely appreciate everything that Mike has taught me in my three years here about brewing, about mechanical things everything and anything that you kind of need to know about how shit works mike has mike's your guy and i appreciate mike very much i appreciate the things that he's willing to teach i appreciate the time that he's willing to put in in the brewery um everyone who works with mike would also say the same thing and uh He's a fantastic father. He is a father of two beautiful girls, and he is a husband, um, and he's one of my best buddies, and I love Mike a lot, and I I really appreciate everything that he's ever taught me. So, yeah, he's a kick-ass dude, and he's one of the most important dudes at Lupulin, and everything that you drink, Mike's got a hand in it, and you can thank him for that, too, So, and I thank him for that. Hey Justin, what's his what's his favorite Lublin beer, and what's his favorite like beer in general? Do you think? Wait, your opinion. Let's see if you can catch. So this. he any type of beer that has smoked malt. So Mike likes a beer that has smoked malt. He is our resident smoked malt master. Nice. And any beer that Mike brews, if he, he can throw smoked malt in it, he's doing it. Um, so that's gotta be. I think that that's favorite beer hands down no questions awesome yes smoke beers <laughs> you, you you all seem to be getting on very well at the moment but mike you've sort of got the last opportunity now with your introduction so you know you don't all the others I had to live in fear a little bit of payback but you can just go hard mate well and the bar's been set so high now everybody's got these great intros like man I had like oh, a little one right. all planned out and it's everybody's got me beat. Um, yeah, but you only got an intro. You only have to introduce Justin. Yeah, but just I'm... they've been so great. So 
Um, but yeah, so Justin, uh, head, you know, quality control manager um, at the brewery. Uh, when Justin is not either working in the lab or in the our sour side with scribbled lines, he is out on the water fishing or ice. That is his big deal is fishing. Um, as for uh, like fellow employee working with, Justin's been amazing. Uh, when he did first start, we had, I, you had to have been there maybe a month or so when CBC hit and everybody was gone except for me. So I was brewing, dry hopping, transferring, like doing everything, working like 14 hour days. And if it wasn't for Justin coming out and being like, okay, teach me how to do things so I can help. It would have been like 18 hour days. It was just crazy. So just the fact that he's willing to just jump in, get his hands dirty and learn has been just amazing. Um, so yeah, that's been a thing I've really enjoyed about Justin. He's always down to learn and always down to help. He's always there for you. Um, Mikey, teach me. Beer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I try. Uh, favorite beer, at least out of the three, I'd have to say has got to be Blissful. Seems like there's a bit of a common theme with Blissful, which we're actually going to get onto uh, throughout the podcast, which is which is cool because uh, you you guys all love each other so much. It's amazing oh. to hear like the respect and for your colleagues. That's really it's like cool. A family. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. great. It's it's. Yeah, it's how it should be. It's it's brilliant. Um, we are going to move on and start talking about the first beer. Keep in mind, guys, to to keep the the chat in the Zoom room open because questions will pop in uh, from the listener base. Um, we will try to get to most of them. Of course, if you do see a question, and you want to answer it straight away, go for it. Um, by the end of the three beers we're trying today, we'll hopefully have enough time for a few uh, Zoom room questions as well. We are going to start off with the Hui IBA. Uh, this beer is awesome, guys. It's so good. Um, before we get started, and this might be a uh, a starting point for, for Jeff, and but I'm sure you'll all contribute something. Um, we have listeners all over the world. Obviously, you guys are in the US. We're in Australia. Uh, paint us a picture of the brewery and Big Lake for us. Um. To have mine off mute. Um, so, those that may know, not know, I mean, Minnesota, we're obviously close to Canada, <laughs> right in the middle of the US. Uh, it's uh, very cold, it's snowy typically. Um, but Big Lake, Minnesota, we are a suburb about 45 minutes uh, northwest of Minneapolis. Uh, Minneapolis, the Twin Cities is our major metropolitan area. Um, those that may know, like Rochester, where the Mayo Clinic is, we're about two about two hours north of Rochester. Um, so we're right there in the center center of the state. Um, we're a small, we're, I guess we're a mid-sized community, about ten thousand people. Um, but when you look at the overall metro area that we're in, we're probably well over a million when you start looking at um, the overall population within um, 
15 to 30 minutes. So pretty much, you know, not in the heart of the city, but outside the city a bit. Um, and uh, again, we were um, one of the first craft breweries uh, located in the Northwest Metro when we started up in 2015. Um, those that may be aware, actually Surly, which is one of the larger breweries here in the state of Minnesota. Um, they were actually in uh, Brooklyn Center, which they were probably one of the furthest before they moved to Minneapolis to the north, um, the west metro when you looked at it. So when we started the brewery up, we were looking to be one of the breweries that was on a northern route where most people go to the cabin, to the lakes. Um, Minnesota is known for its lakes. You know, often you hear the, the, the state of 10,000 lakes, even though I think we have more than that. Um, so um, our focus when we started was we wanted to be on a major, major corridor where people were heading to the Northwoods. So um, one of the major U.S. highways, um, 10, goes through Big Lake, and that made for a perfect opportunity for us to be off a of U.S. Highway 10, where people are heading up to the Northwoods. And again, being one of the first ones in that area. So um, again, it's uh, <laughs> if you looked at it, we had to do a lot of education back in 2015. Most of the people, uh, uh, there's a lot of bud bud drinkers, uh, Miller genuine draft drinkers. Um, uh, so we had to do a lot of education because uh, not a lot of people knew about what craft beer was or what this thing was coming into town. But uh, typically most people when they heard them a Belgian blonde um, and we got them hooked on the blonde. And uh, from there, everybody wanted to know what IPAs were. And we uh, obviously our name being fitting with Lupulin, we transitioned a lot of people to uh, enjoy our, our IPAs. And we converted a lot of those Bud and Miller Lights and genuine draft and those drinkers into uh, drinking IPAs. So there's a, um, there's the stories we like to hear yeah. uh, in, in the core and converting people from Bud Light to, to craft beer IPAs. It's brilliant. Um, yeah. You kind of already touched on, on my next question for you, but since you guys opened uh, the brewery, how's the craft beer scene in Minnesota sort of expanded or evolved um, you know, we out here in Australia, we hear about other parts of the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. you, you rarely hear about craft breweries in your part of the world uh, mm -hmm. back, back here in Oz. So how's it evolved? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mentioned Surly earlier. Yep. It's the movers and changers in the state of Minnesota. Um, we have very strange legislative and governing laws with the tiers, um, with the... Uh, uh, three-tier system that we operate under. Um, prior to, there was a, what they called it was actually the Surly Bill, um, where prior to 2011, any breweries, which there was probably, I don't know, a handful of breweries prior to 2011, the only way that they could uh, be a brewery was um, through distribution. Um, they could give up free samples um, so this is only 10 years ago yeah, and uh, when, when Surly basically said, you know, if you want us to stay in the state of Minnesota, 
Um, we want to be able to serve pints out of a tap room. And if you want us to expand into the Twin Cities and grow, we need to have a bill passed that will allow us to serve our beer to our customers. And so hence the Surly Bill in 2011 passed. Um, and today, 10 years later, we have over 200 plus breweries in the state of Minnesota. Wow. Um, so we are growing very, very quickly. Um, we're not at the levels like uh, the, the Oregon or the Washington or the Colorados or the Californias, but uh, we are becoming uh, very well known for craft beers across the U.S. Um, we're very, very excited um, to host the uh, Craft Brewers Conference, um, which is also this year is the, the World Beer Cup, which we'll be having people coming in from all over the world into Minneapolis uh, for that competition and the Craft Brewers Conference in May. Uh, so Minneapolis is Minneapolis and Minnesota is starting to be um, known for great uh, craft beers for um, across the U.S. Um, and we're continuing to grow um, all over the place uh, within the state. That's that's awesome, and that sort of starts to tie in with uh, the next question. Um, how did give us a bit of an insight? And we'll talk. We're as we're drinking today, we're going to talk more about uh, the story of the brewery and 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 those sorts of things. But give us a bit of a short insight. Um, how did you and Matt meet and decide you wanted to open a brewery together? Was it, you know, a, a well, we were decision? Both, uh, well, it was, uh, we were both, well, first I was, both of us were homebrewing um, out of our garage, out of our kitchen. And I was looking to get um, acquainted with other brewers. And most of us that were homebrewing, tried to search out through the internet and I found a homebrew club that was within about a half hour from where I lived. And I went to the homebrew club and I met Matt at that homebrew club in 2010. And he was actually giving a session um, talking about education around stouts, which is one of the reasons I got into brewing was um, I was a big Guinness and a Newcastle guy originally back in the 2000s. And I felt like, well, you know what? I'm going to brew that beer so I can drink it and enjoy it. I make it and enjoy it and drink it. So um, he happened to be talking in 2010. And we instantly kind of connected because uh, where I worked for over 20 years within the pulp and paper industry over in central Wisconsin, um, he actually grew up in that town. So four hours away. So there was kind of a uh, instant connection. Uh, we're 16 years apart. He knew a lot of the parents that I worked with and uh, we made a connection and uh, probably within a year after we first met, we started brewing together, uh, brought it into the garage brewery and started running a business plan in 2012. Um, we actually uh, trademarked Lupulin Brewing in 2012, um, went through all the normal things that most startup entrepreneurial businesses go through, refine the business plan many times over. And uh, again, finally, uh, we were able to settle on Big Lake in 2014, get a lease, get the financing and, and, and get rolling in 2015. So um, really from, uh, it was just a lot of uh, blood, sweat and tears, I guess, uh, 
during that period of time. And um, that's how we, how we connected. So. What were you doing before what? that? Were you, were you running a small business or doing anything <laughs> along those lines or was it all of that side of things new to you as well? Um, well, Matt's background is uh, also many, both of us were manufacturing um, and Matt was a machinist by trade. Um, he also was a programmer, did a lot of design for the machining. And uh, my background was chemical engineering. And um, I spent, like I said, 20 years in the pulp and paper industry um, in engineering and uh, management positions. And then I was back here in Minnesota, which got me interested in home brewing. And I was doing operations and quality control and different um, many different companies. Um, so, you know, both our desires was, uh, you know, wanting to run our own business and um, being in control of that and having fun. Amazing. That's really cool. We, uh, we should start talking about the beer. Uh, partly because yeah. <laughs> I'm potentially going to finish mine pretty soon. This is, <laughs> this is awesome. This is really good. Um, um, yeah, so with, with Hui, we're going to have grapefruit, citrus, orange, tropical, a uh, little bit of grassy notes, uh, maybe a little bit of woody uh, floral. Um, definitely going to be kind of a lighter in color, like that straw color, the nice white head on it. Uh, not super bitter. Um, pretty much all the hops go in whirlpool and dry hop. So it's kind of one of those nice deals where uh, a lot of people that don't like IPAs, this is kind of like those beers that help get them into it. When, you know, most people think IPAs are like, oh, that stuff's gross and bitter. And this is kind of the opposite of that. Like you get a lot more of the aromas and the flavors than the bite. This beer, though, for me, also scratches some of my itch of that little bit of bitterness still. I'm at heart a West Coast IPA, West Coast U.S. IPA guy, so I like it bitter, yep. not aggressive. But the way that Mike and the guys are able to kind of take the best of both worlds, the juicy and the bitter, like – they do a damn good job at it. That that bitter hit in the mid when it hits your palate, it's so quick though. It's yeah. um, you get that floral hit straight away. It, yeah, it's really good. Um, Mike, give us a bit of an idea on on the uh, the hop profile that you've used in this beer, uh, and then at the same time, we'd be keen to know. We we love a good hop discussion. Um, we'd be really keen to know, sort of, do you guys have, do you have sort of a go to hop range you use for your IPAs? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Citra, Simcoe, Mosaic, uh, El Dorado, Falconer's Flight. Those are kind of in just about everything that we do. Uh, this one is, you know, Whirlpool. We do Simcoe and uh, Citra in this one. And then dry hop, we got mosaic, citra, amarillo, El Dorado, and mandarina Bavaria. So we get a lot of our kind of pine, like citrus, floral, kind of tropical fruitiness from this kind of array of hops. That array of that's a massive array of hops. Yeah. For this is so well balanced on the on the hop profile on it. That's because some of those hops are very standout. You know, strong aroma hops, aren't they? Like, yeah, 
One of the things too that I've found that was uh, well, I, so before I worked at Lupulin, I drank like I bought Lupulin from the liquor stores. Bought Hui. Hui was the first Lupulin beer I ever drank, and I was like, oh my god, it is so good. And I still stand with that to this day. And one of the things that I think that these guys have done since long before I was there, I can't even say that we do like that, you know, like Jeff and the boys started in the garage is that balancing bitterness, maintaining bitterness, not totally throwing out the hops on the hot side of the brew and only like loading up a whirlpool or loading up the dry hop, but still maintaining that kind of bitterness balance that some of the beers do have while being like ultra juicy, ultra hop forward. I think that big dry hops do well with some hot side care to maintain that balance that I find in these beers and that I like uh, a lot and something that I think that we maintain going forward and it's something that's important to me and the beers that we make from here on out too. Honestly said. One uh, one cool note about Hui, well, it's a super cool note, is it was originally uh, called Batch 100. It was our 100th uh, batch that we made at the brewery. And the moment we all tried it, we looked at each other in the tap room and we just went like, what did we just make? Whatever it is, we're keeping it. It's staying forever. And it's now our biggest seller all over the world by far. Has, has the recipe or the hop profile changed since that initial brew to, to this one? I, I can already see Jeff shaking his head there. I, I would say it's only, uh, and Mike can attest to it, is obviously going from our, our 10-barrel um system that we had which was a a two vessel type uh, brew house to our current 30 barrel uh, state-of-the-art production brewery with a separate whirlpool a much more um, technology driven uh, mash water and a kettle um and obvious and, and changing the the way that we're adding you know the hops into the whirlpool with our our pre-cooler, our pre-chiller that we have to get the temperature down, we've actually improved the overall hot profile um, and the hot, you know, the the balance of it with that more state of the art. So, but none of our, um, the hot amounts that we're putting in have changed. We haven't made any modifications uh, to that. Um, You know, and again, Mike can talk a little bit more to that, but Overall, the, the quality of the Hui with the new 30 barrel that we started up in February of 2019, two years ago, has, you know, drastically, you know, it's made a significant improvement to what Hui was. Um, even though Hui was great before that, it just made it even better with uh, a more state-of-the-art system that we've designed. And is it... Uh... Is it as big a seller in cans as it is in the tap room? Uh, is there any differentiating between the two? Jack might know that off the top of his head. Uh, what was the question? I'm sorry. How, how does it uh, how does it go between being in a can or being off tap? Um, you, you mentioned just before it's probably one of your biggest sellers. Uh, does it balance out can versus tap? Uh, in terms of flavor profile. Um, 
I would say they're pretty close uh, in terms of sales in general. We tend to lean pretty can heavy over kegs. Um, part of it is by design. Part of it is also from uh, COVID, just not being able to sell as many kegs as we would like to. But um, we, we uh, do better as a business selling more cans than kegs. Uh, but that said, uh, there's a lot of beers we have. I prefer on draft. There's a lot that we make that I prefer in can. Huey is actually one that I prefer out of a can myself. Um, it just has a little more bite to it. Like I've said before, that that bitterness that I enjoy, when I have it on tap, it doesn't have quite as much as that. But usually when I have it from the can, it's straight off the canning line and uh, fresh from the cow, so to say. So it's probably a little more fresh than the keg. but it's still good either way. Yeah, I would say uh, um, I think our numbers that we normally go by for uh, Travis and David and the group is for about 30% of our overall production is, is Hui. Uh, we posted about, we uh, did last year, we were at, uh, we just uh, published that to the BA it was 8,500 barrels. So, you know, Hui is about, you know, 2,500 of that. Um, and typically our, our mix that we try to go for, uh, between, uh, draft and cans is right around that, uh, what 70, 30, Jack, 80, 20, 80% yeah. yep, cans. And so yep. that kind of gives you a good feel of where we're at with, uh, that, that brand. Nice. Um, Mike, uh, in relation to the, 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 brewing process and you know we spoke about the hops and everything before have you ever been tempted to tweak it make some changes to it to see what the outcome would be or is it just that this is almost perfection and you just don't want to touch it yeah so when it comes to hooey it's yeah pretty much just leave it it's doing its thing you know why why mess with the a good thing um but we have done um like a house IPA kind of like uh, experimental kind of thing where we've taken beers like Huey, Eight Count, uh, Blissful. I think those are like the only ones we've done so far. But like before we dry hop them, we will shoot like five barrels over to a small fermenter and then dry hop it with a, you know, like just these are the hops we're going to try this time. These are the ones we're going to try this time. And so we can take hooey or some of the other ones and try different dry hops with them but overall like hooey as hooey yeah that don't really have any need to change or any ideas to tweak or you know but having that five barrel we could play around with some stuff but overall the hooey that's going to keep coming out is going to be the hooey that we've got I just, uh, Travis, I'm, I'm never going to go into talk about other beers, but I'm just not going to get bored of hearing the guys say hooey and just say, like, that's the <laughs> this, hooey that we've got. It's just this is about to be, this is about to be my next question, David. Um, who came up with the name? Because it's, it's brilliant. I think that was, that's got to be a Matt thing, right, Jeff? That's a, yeah, that's a Matt. That one is definitely a Matt. I, I can't even remember, like Jack mentioned, we had, uh, batch 100 and then we had to do a second batch 100 
And then I can't even remember the names that Matt and I were sitting at the bar coming up with. But a lot of times when we do it, it's like we're always on there looking for, well, what trademark or what's on untapped, trying to find out a name. And there was ones that we were finding. And I, I had no idea how he came up with who he it, it stuck. I mean, there's there's some interesting interpretations of Hui, uh, if you look it yeah. up. Yeah, but, look it up on uh, Google, type yeah. Hui and, and yeah. Russia. I, I can imagine everyone's doing that right now. Has, yeah. has the name just become synonymous with your brewery in, in, in the community? Yeah. To, you know, we oh. have beers out here that have particular names and you can yeah. automatically associate the yeah. last time yeah. you were at that brewery or the last beer you had from that brewery. Is it the same with Hui in your community? Yes. Yeah. It, it's, are... it's not just locally either. I mean, I go out of right. state for work quite often and mm-hmm. It, they they see my shirt or whatever. They go, oh, it's the Lupin guy. I love Hui so much, and it's always like, mm-hmm. hey, I know your symbol, your logo, that brewery Lupin, and Hui is one of my favorite beers. It's always in my fridge. I I've had it from every corner of the country. It's amazing. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's Hui cool. Is, yeah, it's a well known. Um, it's been featured by the Thrillist magazine for four years straight, consecutive years. Um, by uh, Kate Bernal, who is one of the writers for the Thrillist, as one of the um, 34 best IPAs in, in the country um, uh, for four consecutive years. So it's, it's a very well-known name out there. And, and again, on the lid, we love to refer to it. It's a you know, crazy, juicy, hazy, hooey, you know, um, just, you know, it's just, that's kind of a, a nice saying that we've come up with. Really uh, marketed. Yeah, brilliant, love it. Um, we are going to move on to our second beer shortly, and we'll we'll get through the second beer, and then we'll probably have a quick quick little ten minute break or so after after this one. We we're going on to the double IPA. Before we get onto it, what are the similarities and differences should we be looking for? Um, as we taste it, I'm, I'm sure most people in the room have already cracked theirs open. Um, it'd be good to do a, like a little side by side of the two. That's Mike. Yeah. So uh, similarities and differences. Uh, I mean, they're both very citrusy, uh, very like fruity. Uh, Blissful is definitely going to be a little more dank though, and it's going to have maybe a slight more uh, bite to it. This one actually does have some hot side kettle hops, um, and you're going to get a slight more alcoholic bite. This is the beer that I always call a sleeper. Um, you know, you get the four pack of it, you have two of them, and all of a sudden you're like, "Whoa!" <laughs> so yeah, it creeps up. I need to grab something else to drink. Um, but yeah, amazing beer goes down super easy. Uh, but yeah, you just got to kind of watch it. It's a little bit of a sleeper. So, yeah, the colors uh, are very similar. Uh, couple of, yeah, the colors are very similar. Mm. I've got a little admission. Um, so I had some friends around for dinner and they were grabbing beers out of my fridge and we actually shared the, the blissful, um, over mm. like over dinner. And one of the comments, and this goes back to what Jack was saying earlier about the hooey. One of the comments was, 
this this, this look it's juicy and like it feels like a, a a New England IPA, but there's still this bitter dark edge to it. So it's kind of like a West Coast IPA. So the the comment was it's not East Coast or West Coast. They just couldn't pick it. They just and when when uh, when we kind of had a look at the can and worked out what it was, it was like yeah, it's right in the middle. After I yelled at them for a while for taking beer that they shouldn't have pulled out of the can, <laughs> uh, out of the fridge. Um, and is that that's something that's really big about this mic? It does feel like it, it encompasses the best of both. A real like you 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 haven't pulled any punches. This is the this is the whole shebang. Um, would would I be right in that? Uh, any of the guys, I suppose. But yeah, Mike. Yeah, I would say you're definitely right in it. Yeah, because it's almost like getting the best of both worlds where you got that nice juiciness of the, um, you know, the East Coast. And then you've also got the bitterness that you get kind of off that West Coast. So it gives you the best of both worlds. I definitely, definitely agree with that. Um, see, what are some of the differences in terms of, of how the hop, uh, like you've, you've said you've put, so there, there's some uh, treatment in the hot, um, some hot hop treatment. Um, yeah, what you is the is the profile from the Hui different in terms of the hops you use? Is that hop bill a significantly different, Mike? Uh, from the blissful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the blissful yeah. And the Hui. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's some hops that are similar, but not they're I mean, a little more different. Uh, what do we got in there? So it's. In the boil, we throw the Falconer's Flight in, which is definitely like more of a floral citrus. Uh, and that's on uh, the Blissful, where we definitely get a little more of the bite. Um, but yeah, Citra Mosaic, which we have in um, Hui. Um, but then we also, in the dry hop, we've got uh, Falconer, Citra, Mosaic, and then a little bit of Columbus. And the Columbus will also give you a little bit of that dank, resiny, um, and a little bit of a bite, uh, a little higher alpha. And uh, um, in terms of like blissful versus hooey, so um, on the hot side, what we do too, which has a huge impact on like the way that it drinks and the bitterness is with blissful, uh, 30 minutes into the boil, we add hops into the boil kettle. And so that's going to be those hot side additions that generate that bitterness um, versus the cold side additions where mainly the dry hop but also with our ability to knock our whirlpool down when we our, our whirlpool temperature down we are able to add hops at kind of a lower temperature where it doesn't contribute to that bitterness right so on blissful at 30 minutes we throw the hops in to generate some of that and on hui we actually don't so there are no hops added to hui on the hot side um to kind of generate that bitterness aside from anything that we do in the whirlpool right so and hui hops are only added in the whirlpool, but in blissful we add hops to the kettle during the boil, which should kind of portray itself differently as you drink it. Where blissful should have more of the IBUs that um, we measure in and kind of speak about in a way. So that is one of the major differences between the two, and especially when it comes to that balance of just like big hops on the cold side and hop aroma and hops on the hot side generating some balanced bitterness um 
We might. I just thought we might throw in a question about uh, like Minnesota and the US and the, the US craft beer industry. So in Australia, hazies are. A, I suppose this is a question a, a bit aimed at Jack on that uh, that sales sales side. So hazies in Australia exploded after in the last four or five, I'm sorry, five or six years, um, and it doesn't show any signs of slowing down. Uh, there, there, there hasn't been there seems to be consistent in our market. Um, have you guys found the same in Minnesota in the greater US kind of craft market? Has it just kept on going? I mean, and, and our market follows yours. So what we're trying to find out is, is it, it does it slow down? Do, do people get sick of that juicy kind of... I, I mean, I think to a degree, it, it depends on the level of uh, craft geek you are, if you will. I know... Some of the geeks move on a little uh, faster when they're chasing the trends from hazies to pastry sour to, you know, big stouts to whatever it might be. Uh, What we've noticed here, at least in the Midwest area of the U.S., like hazies are here to stay. They're not going anywhere. Um, I think the velocity has slowed down maybe just a touch uh, due to so many breweries putting them out all at the same time so it's a little crowded in the market Uh, not in a bad way it's good to have choices but um, what we're starting to see the really strong ones stick around and some of the ones that aren't as awesome um, slowly kind of fade out if that answers your question I I, I think overall in the U.S. um, it's still, uh, uh, it's it's a monster that style. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, on on a similar note, so so you you kind of being out there and 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 on the sales side, Jack. Uh, what feedback do you do you guys do you guys give it to the to the brewers and the owners and the business as to to what to what to do and the volumes of different things and how to kind of move forward like is there a, is there a, a constant conversation or have you guys kind of formulated you know this is this is Lublin um you, this this is who you are so so you do your thing like what what balance is there how does that conversation go well, uh, Warren, it's it's an ongoing conversation. Obviously, we want to uh, meet the needs of our most immediate consumer locally via our tap room, uh, our local market here in the upper Midwest. But we also like to hear like what Florida or Georgia might want or Oregon, Louisiana, uh, Australia, England, Japan, like generally it's IPAs and we're known for IPAs, but the conversation is always going. And one key thing that most of our customers, be it the consumer, the retailer, whoever, they like variety. And although we are known for our IPAs and I think we're damn good at it, our consumer likes variety constant variety so we're always like every month trying to put out something a little different something new while still doing what's tried and true so we we pretty much look at it like in an annual basis and then 
we'll slowly walk it back, like kind of like every couple months at a time. Like, what are we, what are we seeing on the street? What do people want? What are they sick of? And we talk about it every single day. Cool. Um, on a different tact, Jeff, what was the first hazy you ever tried? Now, can you remember what was, what, what was the feeling? <laughs> I actually, I actually was thinking about that. It was either, so part of the, the blissful was inspired by the Northeast and Matt. So my son, Aaron, who's our head of innovation brewer and employee number one, um, he lets everybody know that he's employee number one and Jack's number two. Um, but him and I take uh, trips and uh, we were out in the Northeast and I think my very first one was, it was either Hill Farmstead or I believe it was probably Heavy Topper from Alchemist. Um, so from a, from a hazy side, I know Matt um, at the same time, about a couple months after Aaron, he was in Colorado and he was at Odd 13. Uh, in Colorado, who is also well known for some of the hazies that they were doing in the Colorado area. So coming up with the Blissful Ignorance, which was a series at the time, was kind of a culmination of the trips uh, to the Northeast and the Colorado to create this, you know, um, Blissful was a series. Uh, originally, it was our very first beer that we we launched um, with the ribbon cutting in 2015, um, which was a double IPA, probably more West Coast style that we did. Um, but Blissful number four was actually our um, Northeast style and it blew up. And that's really what, what set us off. And I, you know, to get back to your question, Warren, is, is probably more like um, I'm a big heavy topper fan. Um, I love, I love, uh, you know, the alchemists and what they've been doing out there in the East coast. Um, you know, Lawson's, uh, sip of sunshine was also another one probably when I was out there. So it's really, it's kind of a blur, uh, what, what I had, but that's really where blissful was inspired. I guess we don't want to say we copied them kind of like what you guys are saying, you know, it's kind of a, it's a mix between that hazy juicy but it also has some of the west coast bitterness into it um and so we've kind of made it our own um so it was really it was inspired by other hazies when we really created blissful ignorance um so just you know that was our very first beer um that we canned um that's what really launched lupulin into the scene in uh February of 2017 um, was blissful. Um, the first, that's what is, first the very first in a can yeah. in Minnesota. Correct. Awesome. Hey Jeff, it, just remind me when you were speaking earlier. Did you say you were drinking like Guinness back before you you <laughs> when you were starting the hunt? How was your Guinness clone? How did you do trying <laughs> to brew a Guinness in your garage? Did you get it going? Because it's often something that a lot of home brewers kind of, they, they gravitate to when they're first starting. Yeah, I uh, I was probably, you know, not so much a dry um, stout 
like the yep. Guinness, I, I really modified my recipes to be more the oatmeal side of the stout. And that's really what I, I worked on and perfected and, uh, and Mike's laughing there, but, but I, and one of our other, our, our cellar guys, uh, Steven, he just brewed a, a, a stout called Hofferflocken, which means oatmeal in German, I think. Um, hmm. but I, I, the guys give me crap about, you know, brewing. They don't let me on the brew house since 2016. So, um, I haven't brewed in five years, but you know, my oatmeal stout, my Vienna lager, all those kinds of things. I used to win, you know, I have awards, you know, medals from amateur yeah. brewing, you know? So I really worked on perfecting my oatmeal stouts and my Vienna lagers during that time. But, you know, this is what so, I like, I like there's a little bit of friction now, just, just creeping in between yeah. your teams. This is what we like after one beer or two. Yeah. You're you keen know. to get back into the brew house. No, yeah. they won't let me in. They, they, they do. Though they won't. I mean, if, if Aaron oh, was on Jeff. here and Mike, they all know the story about how I brewed blissful ignorance when Matt was on vacation in 2016 and Aaron <laughs> called me up that morning at about six 30. Cause I went in at 3 AM cause we were triple turning on it at that time on our, on our little 10 barrel brew house in the, in the 30, in the 30 barrel fermenters to try to keep up. And he's like, where are you at? I'm like, well, hell I'm already kettled up. He's like, what, what do you mean? And I hadn't <laughs> brewed in like a year. On, on the brewery and he goes i go oh shit i forgot to do the the rest in the mash and i'm like so we had to add a bunch of dextrose uh to it at that time to add some sugar to make up for it so ever since that that week of 2016 they haven't allowed me back in the brew house <laughs> <laughs> just just one little mistake and yeah you yeah, it's Pindy. You may as well be walking around but, with a tattoo in your forehead. Forgot yeah, the rest. But it's still, it still turned out. I mean, it was fine, you know? <laughs> I was hoping that story was going to turn into a beer explosion story and it would have fitted mm. really nicely with the Cool Room podcast. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. Yes, that would have been perfect. Yeah. I'm not answering, I'm not asking that question today. <laughs> so thank God. That's good. Didn't plan it, but um, we'll, we'll ask that. We'll ask the whole team, Jeff. We want to hear from you first, since you're the since since you're the the one of the original drivers behind the brewery. Uh, yeah, what was your uh, and then and then we'll, we'll fight it out to see which one of the team has the the next best answer. Um, what was your first true craft beer, Jeff? What was the first? Um, you know, the first one that wasn't made by one of the major breweries that, that, that you tried. And, and was it the one that got you hooked? Well, or, or if it was, yeah, that's, that's a good story too. But Jeff, yeah, what was your first craft beer? Well, I'm the, the old man of the group. Mm. They call me Papa Smurf. Um, I would have to say back in the day, it was, I uh, hate to say that, probably Sam Adams. Oh, yeah, um, yeah because yeah. I mean, I, I got into the craft beer scene. Um, I graduated from college in 85 uh, in chemical engineering, and I was probably traveling to the East Coast uh, during that time. So I was drinking a lot of um, East Coast, Boston. I was in that area in New Hampshire. And so I would say Sam Adams was probably the first craft beer 
but I would say the most memorable craft beer that I had that really got me turned on was uh, Bell's Two Hearted. Okay. Yeah. Um, Samuel Adams kind of it's it's respectful given that it was the only one back in the back not the only one but you know it's for 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 us uh, on the outside looking looking in it feels like it was it was the start of that thought it was the start of that the idea that you didn't have to drink Miller's or or Bud or yeah but for us it was a different range of beers but same conversation. I reckon more or less. I reckon that was the first beer that I had from America that was just like, oh, this is a drinkable beer," rather okay. than it's all or every American beer is crap, which would have been yeah. the opinion of Australians, you know, in the late eighties, early nineties. A lot of us it was every American beer tastes like every Australian beer. You know, mm. I mean, like, okay, no, not every Australian beer, but those those um, really clean international styles, those super clean, super dry international styles. That's what it was like. Like a, a a bud was like a a bud was like a Carlton Cold or a uh, yeah. A Miller's or, yeah. To or um, although Carlsberg's different. They're they're owned. Did you know they're owned by a foundation that donates all their uh, all their profits to artists like in Denmark? That's I, <laughs> I really. Uh, anyway, let's go. Um, who does anyone does any of the other team have a more, I suppose, contemporary answer to that question? <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, I would say the first time I was ever knocked on my ass by a craft beer yeah. was, I think, two thousand ten or eleven. Probably before that. I, I had had craft beers before that and went, nah, it's not my thing. Uh, Surly uh, Furious. Years after uh, Jeff's first craft beer. Yeah, I um, used to manage a restaurant and we got samples of uh, Furious from Surly. And I tried that. And I went, oh, God, what the hell is this? And then like 30 seconds later, I went, I don't know what that was, but I want more and more and more. And, and that was the beer that uh, kind of tipped me over the edge into craft, like local craft. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which beers, which beers do you think Luplin really draw uh, inspiration from? Like where, where do, where do you, where do you guys, when you're sitting around and you're, you're all having chats and you're, you're all in, in your different kind of spheres and teams and whatever, where do you guys, where do you look and think, wow, they're doing really amazing stuff. They're doing really great stuff. Um, have you tried this, this, they've, they've, they've been hitting it out of the park. Well, I mean, it's a tough question. Historically, we've kind of just tried to do our own thing to a degree. Like, Oh, we notice this style in particular is kind of hot. Let's do our own take on it. Like we're not necessarily, uh, trying to copy someone or mimic. Yeah, we have our favorites. You know, Melvin's awesome. Surly's awesome. Bell's is awesome. Um, the list goes on. Uh, 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 Russian River, like all those guys are just amazing. Um, so I wouldn't say there's like any ones in particular besides Jeff, you know, maybe uh, some of the um, North uh, New England 
kind of like northeast breweries that you guys modeled some of the beers towards i think just in general we try something we like and we go that's super good here's how we can make it better and by we i mean mike and justin and the guys because i don't know anything (laughs) and this is where in the live show we managed to have a little intermission for people to have a little break and a walk around refresh their glasses and take care of all the things they need to do in life uh it's an excellent opportunity for us here on the podcast to listen to a message from one of our friends Hello there, it's Damien Gibson, former host of the podcast you're listening to right now. Fortunately, being an ex-podcast host is not my only credit anymore, as I have a new podcast called Agents of Narrative. It's an arts preview and review show where I play new songs and review the latest in films and TV shows. I also bring you long-form interviews with comedians, artists and musicians. Uh, That's Agents of Narrative, available for download and streaming on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. You're in the cool room. We're moving on to the third beer that we're having with the good people of Lupulin. Uh, my extensive research uh, tells me that this is a beer that has been featuring majorly in American Beer Awards lately. Uh, I've been slaving over my computer doing research, or alternatively, Jeff's been talking this beer up during our little break that we have here. It's one of the best reasons to join us live in the core room, not just listen to the recorded version, because you get to interact with the brewers during our break and uh, often after the show as well when people sit around and we're going to enjoy the rest of the packs that we've been uh, having here today. We've got two more uh, Lupulin beers in the pack this month um, and we're going to enjoy them together after the recording has finished. Um, but let's talk CP. Uh, who wants to give us a little rundown on this beer? It's, it sounds like a classic example of a beer where someone needs to guide us through a discussion of how it looks when it pours into the glass, how it smells, how it tastes, and how it'll change in the glass uh, as we as we experience it over the next half hour or so. Well, I can. I'll I'll field this one here. Um, so CPB was actually a creation that was somewhat of kind of a communal effort, right? It was like the idea of this beer was crafted not from one person, one group or anything like that. It was kind of a communal effort of the brewery of like kind of like the family centric brewery that we have to make this beer. And, but not just making a chocolate peanut butter porter, but making the chocolate peanut butter porter that everyone wants, right? And it was like, I think we all had a kind of an idea of what we wanted it to be. And also there's some breweries around here who make a really, really good chocolate peanut butter porter, right? So like we had an idea of what it it, at least has to be that good, right? Our goal is to achieve that, if not, hopefully if we're lucky and if the stars align, surpass that and make a really, really good beer that a lot of people really love. So it was a group effort among many, many people. And it also took a few runs, right? Like it, it was not a first brew, first batch. This is the one, this is exactly what it's going to be. 
dialing in the amount of chocolate, the amount of peanut butter, and the way that we are delivering that to the beer was something that took trial and error, as every good thing should, too, right? Like, it, it, if you hit it right, if you hit it out of the park on the first go, like, all props to you, but I almost kind of just encourage the questioning of, like, there's always a little bit there's another like step to be taken there. It can be a little bit better, right? And you're saying that you're saying that Jeff's, you know, first crack at blissful ignorance wasn't, you know, the the perfect one straight out of the bat. Is that what you're sort of getting at there? I mean, it was pretty good. I really can't say otherwise, right? Otherwise, I might not be going into work on Monday. But you know, <laughs> I think uh, actually, I give. I mean, shit, honestly, too. Like, kind of side note, I give those guys credit for. It. I mean, we're here today because Jeff and Matt did what they did right like they made the beers that they did and uh I trust Jeff even though he might not even though he might skip some important steps on the brew deck I still trust (laughs) him I still invite him up on the brew deck but so CPB and like long story short is just a it was kind of a grind right it was it was a grind that's the best way to say it and the way that uh we actually have a software and like stuff that is a quality control guy like that I use to uh describe these things and so the aromas of this beer are slightly cereal like breakfast cereal along with some grainy notes sweet aromatic notes with chocolate and nutty with an emphasis on the peanut butter the visual is a very dark black opaque color uh, and it's a small amount of thin light brown foam with a light amount of lacing and the taste is it's a mild sweetness with also a balanced bitterness that is also mild but relatively subdued. And the idea is to kind of give that light-bodied beer being a 5%, 5.25% beer, giving that light-bodied beer a nice canvas to be able to showcase the peanut butter and the chocolate on, which is hard because like when you make light beers, it's hard to be able to adjunct them with things and have it always kind of turn out the way that you want like big beers can kind of take a punch but when you have a light beer like this you have to be more delicate and calculated with uh with your adjuncts and your additions and that was something that yeah I mean like I said the first try was not the one but we feel as though that we we landed on what we really do like that's a great description. I've got about five questions coming out of that because you, you've touched on so many points there, but that's a beautiful description. Kirk, I want to take you back to, to the colour of the beer. And I noticed that the cans on the side have, amongst all of the information you give us, and you're very fulsome as a brewery in giving us information, the SRM, he said, with his somewhat um, blind eyes. Um that's not something that we normally sort of see displayed on beers in Australia. Can you perhaps talk us through a little bit about what that means? Presume that we've never seen it before because um, that's probably going to be the case for nearly everyone in the room. Right. So SRN is a scale that we use um, in the beer industry for terms of determining how dark it is, right. Or trying to explain the, the color that you might expect from the beer. And I, I mean, full disclaimer, had to just Google exactly what that acronym means. And it is, it's called the standard reference method. And it's just a method for the color assessment of the beer. So we use that to basically give the consumer an idea of what 
they might expect when they pour the beer in a glass, what it should look like, because often an SRM can almost be associated with a flavor profile too, right? A beer that has like a really, really, really light SRM, which would be very light in color. People can sometimes associate that with the type of malt or flavor profile that they might be expecting. And especially with something that's a darker SRM, you can almost guarantee that that is inherent to the malt profile that is being used because the darker SRM beers are going to be your porters, your stouts, your ambers, stuff like that, that will give an emphasis on the maltiness. So it can kind of actually guide your expectations on the flavor that you might be anticipating from the beer that, uh, that you're buying. And is that something like, you know, so it's listed here as 35 is it something where people would walk into the store and go, oh, I know what 35 means in, in America? Or, or is that just sort of something you think people will be educated about over the, over the longer term? It's kind of one of those things that I feel like, as, and, and like we're, maybe where our, like our uh, consumer is now here in the States is like, they may know what that means. If they know what that means, that will absolutely help them make a decision on that beer and like provide them with that expectation with a with a proper representation of that expectation and the people who don't know what that means might just look at that and be like oh that's cool I have no idea what SRM means (laughs) whatsoever but and if they google it then maybe they might they could learn something too right so I think that we like to provide the consumer with as much information as possible so that they're able to kind of make those decisions um, for themselves when they're hopefully buying our beer in the liquor store. That's a great call. And, you know, very much what we're about is trying to, you know, in a, in a happy way with beers in front of us, explain what some of these terms mean to listeners, you know, who may not have encountered them before. So that's a, mm-hmm. it's a really helpful thing. A bit the same way you, you touched there on sort of how flavors, you know, uh, can hang off the back of a big alcohol beer um, I think most people will be surprised, or in Australia at least, to sort of say, you know, here's a peanut butter porter coming in at about 5%. Um, you know, probably normally we'd be expecting to see this one up at sort of 7 or 8% um, with this kind of style. Um, why, why the lower alcohol, given what you've, what you've described there about how you can do different things with flavours? Why didn't you just make it 7% and I presume life would have been a bit easier in the brewery in one sense on how to get the flavours carried across in something like that? Absolutely. You know, and that's, and that's absolutely right too. And, you know, like to kind of kick that conversation off, we have actually since made Imperial CPB. Imperial CPB is a beer that we make and it's just a big, bad, boozy version of the porter that you have in front of you. And I absolutely love it. Like I, (laughs) and you know, it, it does kind of lend itself to that conversation of, well, why wouldn't you just do that in the first place? Why wouldn't that just be like the beer that you make, right? Like why choose to shoot that lower alcohol, especially if we've experienced the higher alcohol imperial version being delicious, right? But it just kind of goes back to, you want to be able to have a certain amount of sessionability in a beer. You want people to be able to drink the beer, enjoy the beer, maybe enjoy more than one. And it also allows you to hit a certain price point too. So, and hitting a certain price point based on the amount of ingredients that go into the beer, which 
is, you know, if there's less alcohol in a beer, there is less initial ingredients, specifically grain that go into that beer, right? And so being able to make a beer that we could have accessible to the consumer was very important to us while also maintaining that flavor profile and the standard of the flavor that we have, we found that that would be the ideal kind of spot for the grain and um, the ingredients that we were trying to include. And yeah, I guess it kind of really just boils down to that, the accessibility to the consumer and the sessionability of the beer itself, not wanting to get people hammered immediately. That's a really great it's a- point, Justin, because I was thinking about like other nut porters and my, immediately the rogue hazelnut porter comes to mind. And you don't feel like you could have more than one of those. You'd really, do, like they're delicious, it's tasty, it's sweet, it's lush, it's hazelnuts coming out everywhere, it's great. But this, I think, after drinking like half of the can already, I think I could easily do another can quite happily because there's just enough there it's not too heavy it's just got a good kind of nice range of flavor it's yeah i think it's really i think it's a good point to make that sorry well, David, just to- no, it's good to, it's good to hear that too and uh you know actually like with that I, i'm glad you said that because i kind of jogged my memory too about um one of the conditions of a beer is the final gravity right and the final gravity is the amount of sugar that remains in the beer when it's done fermenting. Um, Our Imperial CPB has a considerably larger amount of residual sugar present in the beer when it's done fermenting, right? And if there's more sugar present in the finished beer, that leads to a very fuller body and sometimes less sessionability to the beer because it's a much more robust kind of thing that has a lot of unfermented sugars and other types of things that are in the beer that can be um, filling. Like, yeah, just straight up, like very like filling to your body. And so that's another thing about it is that when you have that lower alcohol that we do on CPB, it allows us to have a lower finishing gravity, a lower residual sugar, which leads to a less filling experience when you're drinking the beer. It's that's all excellent points, and Warren, you picked up on them brilliantly. You know, Jeff, I was a bit reminded, I think, of some of those beers that you were citing as some of your sort of earlier beers, even things like Newcastle Brown and so forth. Not oh, because yeah. this tastes anything like them, but just be, just because of that notion of darker beers that you can enjoy in a session style. Um, you don't get them very often in the craft beer world because there seems to be this temptation to go wow, we're going to throw everything we've got at this beer and we're going to make it 15% and we're going to include this and include that. And and, and it makes for a lovely, you know, one tulip full of beer, but not a sort of an experience where you can go, it's a bit chilly outside. I feel like drinking some some malt-driven beers and enjoy them for the night. This is this is different to that. This is You could drink this for, for a night out. That was kind of as a question, but I guess I was just so, you know, oh, made my point well, so yeah. well. Yeah, definitely. It's a it's a great, um, you know, I look at it as uh, it's kind of a transitional. It's like, you know, with us being um, in Minnesota and the snow and the colder weather, it's a great fall, winter style beer. However, it's light enough and it's not heavy enough 
that it, it's it's good to have our own campfires during the summer too. So it's it's a nice, easy drinking uh, style beer. Um, again, it's it's one of those beers that, um, again, I guess I'm just uh, spoiled with uh, the IPAs and even lagers that we do. Um, I don't mind drinking the, the, the peanut butter or the pastry stouts or the big beers. Um, but for me, um, I usually only have one or two of these, <laughs> um, because I can, you know, for me, it's, it's more filling, I guess. Um, cause I kind of can kind of consider it as, you know, like we said, it's a, it's a great closing beer that we have. It's a great dessert type type beer. Uh, but it's it is very filling, um, but it does have great great flavor profiles, great aroma profiles, um, and it's just overall all around it. It's it's a new it's a different style of beer than than the traditional um, a dry Irish or an oatmeal or a brown ale. It gives you a little bit more complexity uh, to the style of the beers in the darker style categories. In the U.S., I don't know if it resonates globally, but uh, in the U.S., we notice trends like when it gets warmer, most people like lighter uh, hoppier, fruitier, uh, sharper mm-hmm. offerings like that. Uh, but uh, oddly enough, when in terms of sales, uh, when we get to our territories, uh, our markets that are in the southern U.S., like Florida, Georgia, uh, Louisiana, down that way, like CPB actually does better than our hoppy stuff, which is really strange to me because I don't know what the temperature is in Florida today, but it's probably 85 degrees and super humid. Who would want to drink, you know, something like this when it's hot and gross and sticky outside? Figure that out. I don't know. Do you want, is that somewhat because that sort of thing isn't readily available in those locations? So it's kind of like a bit of a novelty to them? Yeah, I would probably say that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's not the many doing, well. yeah. doing a national brand uh, uh, of like really widely available peanut butter, uh, peanut butter, anything really. And I've got to say, you know, talk about sort of warm, you know, sticky conditions. That's exactly what most of the Zoom room is sitting in mm-hmm. at the moment. And I've got to say, this is going down beautifully. I I do sort of favour the idea of you know, well, this is an autumn beer or this is a winter beer or this is a summer beer, but this is drinking very nicely. And I think it is because of that lighter alcohol and that lack of residual sweetness is that it doesn't feel like a like a heavy stout. Uh, Jeff, I take what you're saying with respect, but for me, this one isn't the finishing manoeuvre, as we'd say in the wrestling industry. You know, this is, you're just sort of heating up the contest. You know, there's a couple of other big beers and we, we might even touch on things like campfire munchies uh, in, a, in the audience questions, but that's the finishing manoeuvre where you jump off the top rope kind of moment, I think, in the, in the beers that we've got from you guys today. Yeah, um, this is circling the ring. Yeah, Justin, I, I wanted to come back to you because 
your official title, as I understand it, is, you know, quality control manager. And we, obviously, we've already heard tonight about the way that the, the family and the brewery sort of subs in and helps out across a range of jobs. But what does it, your job sort of, I guess, literally entail if you were doing, you know, if you weren't helping Mike out, if you weren't doing all those other things? And, and how does that fit in, you know, in, into a complex brewery relationship where presumably you've got to make sure that, you know, you've got your seal on the beer after it comes out of the fermenters that the other guys have been working on and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I started, the quality control lab was not necessarily a thing, right? The quality control lab was a space that had been recently uh, crafted in uh, amongst a host of many other spaces um, when these guys really blew up and like when things really started to grow. And so I will always say, and I was very, I feel very passionately about the fact that from the moment that I started as a quality control technician, Jeff and everybody who is in charge of where I I call them the carpet walkers, right? So the, the carpet walkers are the people who are, upstairs and who exist upstairs in the offices and we are the cement walkers the people who um, exist on the production floor but I have been so fortunate to be a part of a um, brewery and a company that prioritized quality before a lot of things and so what my job looks like is testing the beer from the like the hot side that we've been talking about so from when we start brewing the beer all the things that we add into the beer the hops the yeast everything like that we want to ensure that there is consistency and quality that is maintained throughout every single batch of beer and that means pitching the same amount of trillions of cells right like in in a small unit volume of of a, of a yeast material there are trillions and trillions of cells and we decide how much we are pitching based on the amount of cells that are present in a sample, right? So like we want to ensure that the roughly, you know, plus or minus an acceptable amount of cells, because there are tiny things that we do not see and cannot see, but plus or minus the proper amount, but still operating within the reasonable level of like yeast that we are pitching into the beer to maintain a consistent fermentation profile. And what we need to do by doing that is to ensure that there are no off flavors produced. There's no unwelcome esters. There are no unwelcome off flavors that are introduced during the fermentation um, and the tail end of the fermentation. And so really what it is, is ensuring consistency batch to batch as much as we possibly can, which is sometimes can be very difficult, even though we have the same ingredients, same everything, same people, same manpower, we can do the same thing that this is one of the most important things and craziest things that I've ever learned working in the brewing industry too, is that we can do the same thing over and over again, and we will get different results. We see it all the time. It's not uncommon to see at all. It's honestly expected. We expect to do the same thing and get a different product. And 
my job is important when it comes to working with that variability, working with the, the differences that we might feel and have and being able to still produce a consistent product and still package a consistent product that our consumers expect. So that can look like sampling every tank and determining whether it tastes true to our target or not. That can be determining whether there are off flavors such as diacetyl. That can be determining whether the carbonation is consistent in the beer because we need to have our volumes of carbonation that exist within the beer to be consistent every single time. And it can, and most importantly, it is ensuring shelf stability. And the way that we do that is by doing real-time PCR um, and also doing a completely kind of grown from scratch um, microbiological plating program where we are plating things on special auger that we have selected that is unique to our process and is effective to enumerate the type of things that we might be looking for to ensure that we have a product that is shelf stable. And shelf stability is not only just making sure that the beer tastes right after X amount of weeks on the shelf, but shelf stability really comes down to ensuring that the only things that are in that beer and in that package that you receive are what we have intentionally put into that package. And it really comes down to the microbiological testing to ensure that there are no uh, yeast or bacteria or anything like that that are present in the liquid that we did not intentionally introduce into it. And I am fortunate enough to say that Mike and the gang do everything that I ever need them to do so that I can honestly say it has not been a problem that we have ever experienced um, with there being something that shouldn't be there. And that's not because I'm here and I'm doing a good job because if Mike and the guys on the brewing side weren't doing what they needed to do and how they should do it, then we would have a problem, right? And so I'm just kind of there to see, and like me and my team actually, right? So like I do have an employee in the lab who runs the lab and stuff like that, but he, uh, we ensure that they are doing what they're supposed, supposed to be doing. And I can happily and confidently say that we are fortunate enough to have a team on the brewing side that enables the quality team to have a very easy job. And uh, life is easy for us because those guys do what we need them to do and they do it well and they don't, they don't cut corners. And that makes our job as a quality control team very easy because I wanna make sure that you guys are getting the same thing every time and it's good and it really comes down to them. And I can confidently say that they're doing everything that I could ever ask them to do. We, we, we're hearing the love there. And that's, um, it's obviously genuinely important. And, and hearing as well that, you know, what, what's actually in the can is, you know, the fundamentally most important thing to make sure that there's nothing that shouldn't be there and that everything mm -hmm. that should be there is in there. Does shipping to Australia, you know, it's obviously presents other sort of challenges in terms of how it's shipped uh, the length of time that it might be sitting around on a dock somewhere or other bits and pieces. Is that something you need to take account of? And, you know, what sort of quality control things do you do to make sure that, you know, what's arriving in someone's house in Melbourne, Australia, you know, yesterday 
you know, hits the mark for what, what you guys are aspiring to, to give to punters? Well, uh, Borderline keeps me up at night. <laughs> Good. That's, the, that's, the, that's always the right answer. Yeah. It, honestly, it's like, it's tough. And sometimes like that is one of the most stressful things because we can do everything possible in the brewery, everything we can possibly do to ensure that when it gets put into a can and put onto the pallet, that it is perfect, right? But as soon as that leaves the brewery, I can only hope that the agreements that we have set in place with the companies and the people that we distribute through that our standards that we set for ourselves within the brewery are being upheld and maintained throughout the process of getting the beer where it needs to go. Right. So when some of our, like one of the biggest enemies of an IPA is the biggest enemy is heat and time. And both of those things kind of work together in a very impactful way. So when we ship IPAs overseas, I just hope that, and I really, it's the, the only thing that we can really do is that we set forth agreements with people who will treat our beer right and uphold our standards of quality that we have set within the brewery and uphold those throughout the world and wherever that beer may be ending up and that it is being treated in the way that we would like it to be treated in the brewery wherever else it may be. And so obviously I am not in those trucks or on those ships and so I cannot always, I can't look and see that everything is exactly where it should be but that's just part of you know that's just kind of part of it and uh and just working with people that we trust and working with um yeah people that we trust that will treat the product in the way that we want it to be treated and really uh i know that jeff and jack are definitely kind of the 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 men when it comes to that uh to that ordeal too so it's like those are the standards that i that, that we that we have that we all have and uh you know jack and jeff are the the dudes that kind of set that up and i trust them to i trust that they know that whatever your tastes like when it's right and when it's not right and i trust them to um engage in those types of agreements and engage in those types of exchanges that will treat our product right that's, that's a great answer. Look, you know, this sort of brings us on to our traditional cool room question. Uh, we're called the cool room, not because we're a bunch of cool guys, but because, you know, the cool rooms, the fridges out the back of a pub or out the back of a brewery where, where things go wrong that normally the, the nice people out the front don't get to have a look at. And, you know, we love to hear stories of things out the back. Travis alluded before to the fact that we love to hear an, a story about an explosion or something like that. Um, Justin, you know, what's the what's the strangest thing you've ever seen at the back of a brewery? And I guess just to be clear, we're not saying this is something you've seen at Lupulin. Yeah, it could be any brewery. Just name an anonymous brewery, you know, or you know, what sort of things have you seen happening there? Whether it's a brewery, whether it's a place you've drunk at and you've wandered out into the fridge to see something untoward happening at the back. These are the little sneak peeks behind the scenes or Justin, if you don't have one ready at hand, Jack, you've got a big smile on your face, like you're, you're recalling times that you might have spent. And uh, Jeff's just got his head in his hands and he's praying that no one's going to tell a certain story. I don't know what it is, but I can tell that that's the look on his face right now. 
I'm going to let these guys kick it off. I trust that they've got some good stuff to say. So, uh, Jack or Jeff? Yeah, mine aren't probably as um, explosive as Jeff's. Well, a little bit. Like, (laughs) before we brought on Mike, and Mike is a wizard, man. He can figure out a way to make a beer taste like Sour Patch Kids or... Uh, Count Choculus, like it's ridiculous. I don't know how he does it, and I kind of don't want to know because it's magical to me. It's like pixie dust. Uh, but for a while, for like events, uh, you know, like um, festivals, things like that, I was one of the guys that had to jam ingredients into a beer, like take it from a keg, put it in an infusion tank, and cram all this stuff in there the blood the sweat the <laughs> not not why were you putting blood and but... sweat into a keg that's <laughs> revolting man <laughs> uh but no i i used popsicles i've used uh kool-aid i've used marshmallows i the the last one i did when i went okay you know what i can't do this anymore it was um I I think it was like Hershey syrup and something else. And I didn't hook up things right. And basically everything that went inside the keg just shot about 20 feet up on the ceiling. And I was the only one here making it. Thank goodness. uh, Because I don't want to be laughed at. (laughs) A sales guy touching beer in any format is (laughs) not a good idea. So at that point I went, you know what? Mike is really awesome at this and doesn't make a mess. So I'm going to let Mike do this from now on. You certainly have another level of respect for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Mike, do you have one you want to share with the room or Jeff, you know, something that you want to confess or, you know, we don't want people to tell stories that they don't want to tell. Um, Uh, I'll tell one quick. Uh, So... One of the first things, so I'm always like with anything at any job, like if you screw up, just admit it, just come out with it. Don't try to cover it up. Don't try to hide it. You know, a lot of people get scared. Oh, I'm going to get fired or whatever. So when I was first brewing up on the 10 barrel system, there's a lot of manual valves. So it's hard to keep everything straight. And when you're doing the underjets in between batches, try and clean underneath the mash filter, like the mash screen, I left it open. And so we were like triple turning all the time. And one of the days I walked up and I'm like, you know, why is like my sparge water is not really coming down? It's going at the right gallons per minute. What the hell is going on here? And then realized about halfway through my louder that uh, all the water was just going to the bottom of the kettle, into the boil <laughs> kettle, was like bypassing the mash. So instead of hiding it, went and told everybody like, yeah, something's all jacked up. We're going to fix this. So one of the first beers that I had made, I called Underlet. It was a uh, French Saison. But so it's kind of one of those like just like own your mistake kind of thing, like So I always like doing that, like try to name beers that I make or try to, you know, like a mistake you made, just own it and just go for it. And so, yeah, it's one of my favorite things. Underlet was one of the first beers I made and it was named after the first mistake I made. (laughs) First, first big mistake, I guess. 
it's That's always great. the best approach at the end of the day is just to cop up and, and move on because people can have cr really creative responses to solving yeah. the problem once they know there's a problem. If no one yeah. knows there's a problem there, no one can solve it. Yeah, and it's one of those two where it's like if you man up, just admit it, as long as you don't keep repeating it, you're good to go. I forgot all about that underlet one, Mike. Uh, <laughs> wait, no, hold on a minute. Hold on. I did. <laughs> I I, I completely forgot about that one. Now that you mention it, what story I was just thinking. Of, before you remembered that, I was one, just yeah. thinking of Doya. You know, oh Doya. yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, well, the story I was going to tell obviously was um, I already told the one story about how they won't let me on the brew house anymore since I uh, messed up. Um, the blissful but yet they they allowed me to keep brewing that week because matt was gone but i i think though the one that i remember the most is i was at my full-time job matt had come on full-time in 2016 and aaron and matt we had just gotten our new 30 barrel fermenters in and they were doing a triple turn and we had blissful ignorance and i think this was probably right before we uh can 17 but they shot they 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 sent me photos which i thought were hilarious where they um we we always added the dry hop during active fermentation and the two of them went up onto the fermenter and um at that time we just had ladders and they went up to open up the uh, port on the top, and there was so much pressure that the the beer actually the, shot out the top and up to the ceiling. And the the two of them came down, and they had they were just full of you know hops and and beer and yeast. And I think that was one of the more more funny times that I've ever seen the two of them, you know, and we still talk about that. And I think after that was when we decided, you know what, no more, no one's going to go up on a ladder anymore. We're going to put it, we're going to get a dry hop machine. We're, we're, you know, going to put systems in place, but yeah, it was, somebody asked why there was a spot in the ceiling one time. <laughs> um, and, and that's one, one of the things that I really remember that was kind of, kind of funny you know back in the early days you know five five six years ago um you don't work in a brewery for long without having a few stories like that one way or yeah. another so, so one way or another someone's going to do that yeah i mean we had a lot of stories back when we were brewing in my garage where matt and i would you know actually drink a lot and uh we get some big beers that we were trying to brew up and we get some uh uh original gravities of like 1.2 and it would never ferment out and we'd wonder why we can get this nice beer it's probably because we we're drinking quite a bit meat pizzas in the garage um so i don't think the, are... the pizza is to blame i don't think the pizza yeah. is to blame somehow. <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah there was a lot of a lot of cool times back in the early days so 
Um, you guys have been really generous with your time. We're going to start to move towards uh, a couple of audience questions. Um, but Mark in our chat here, and thank you, Mark, for your continued support of the podcast and your continued questions. We know you love your graphic design and, some, and stuff, mate. Um, the guys have shared some Instagram links. We'll share them on our page as well. But your design work, your can art is amazing. There's consistency amongst the five beers that we have from you, uh, but I really suggest that people jump onto your Instagram uh, and jump onto your webpage uh, to see the full suite of art that you guys have. Um, who's responsible for that? How does the process work? And, you know, just looking at the last two, the CPB and the, the Blissful Ignorance, the can art, even though in some senses it's similar, gives a real feel to what's inside the can. So how do you go through the process that ensures that there is that relationship between the two? Yeah. Um, so our primary designer is, uh, is Marcus Paulson. Um, Marcus has uh, been with us since day one. Um, Marcus, uh, actually a friend of Marcus, actually a neighbor, brought him out to the Garage Brewery in 2014. And, uh, you know, Marcus wasn't really big in the beer, but, you know, his buddy Brian told him about um, the name uh, Lupulin and Marcus came out, presented to us um, his idea for the logo um, in, in 2014. And uh, basically uh, Marcus has been our guy since, you know, over the last seven years. He uh, worked part-time for us, contract work for us, worked for beer. And four years ago, we brought him on full-time. And uh, he's been kind of the whole uh, consistent um, behind our brand, behind our, our image, and, and designing. Um, you know, he's very colorful. He's very... Uh, bright very uh, dynamic in the labels um he's actually won um many different uh awards through the uh, craft brewers marketing association for his labels that he's done for 16 ounce cans um so he he's been our guy he, he keeps us uh very consistent very focused on the brand and very focused on the image so Again, it, it goes back to um, beginning of our roots and beginning of time and being consistent with who we have as part of our team. So um, he's a he's a key member. And um, we we again, he's he's local uh, to Big Lake um, and uh, he he's just incredible with what he can do for for branding for images for um detail uh behind the work um so that's pretty much uh that's everybody asks us who who's who's your guy do you have a marketing firm it's like no we got one guy 
from Jacob. I think you're there. You've got a few questions. I think you've uh, written up about seven different questions. I'm going to let you have two questions to the guys, mate. Uh, fire away with that. And then, Shannon, we're going to give you a question on campfire munchies, which is going to be a really nice way to round things out because people will probably open that beer next and people can sit around in the Zoom room and enjoy that beer. We'll close off the recording and talk about all those things that we never want to have recorded and put out in public. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, David. Uh, yeah, and thanks to the Colburn crew and thank you to the brewery being here. Um, so a quick question for JZ just off the bat, although you've answered it in the chat, but just for the sake of the recording, I'll just say, so you're, you know, you love your ice fishing. My father loved ice fishing, made every career decision based on it. And you, mm. you've given a, a good answer, but what, what was your beer of choice for ice fishing? And then I'm going to have another question for the group. <laughs> Uh, like like I like I think I responded to you when when you go out ice fishing, uh, one cold, and to me the the beer of choice is uh, something that's very high in alcohol content. So if you go with our normal core beers, obviously blissful ignorance would be the very first one. But anything that we have, any, you know, we have a lot of triple IPAs on in our tap room where people will come in and fill up a, a crawler, a growler, which is 64 ounces, uh, or pick up a, a crawler, which is 750 mils. Um, so we have triples. We also have barrel age beers. So anything that's up in that higher content, um, uh, I know a couple of good ice fishermen that, uh, have gone out and they like, uh, I think a couple of years ago, they, they decided to take, uh, what's that one called? Rumpelfest Jack. Yep. Is that like, like a 13% that was like, a uh, wasn't it like a, a 13% alcohol that was a, uh, Imperial Brown ale that we aged in. Was it rum barrels? Yep. Yeah. Rum barrels. <laughs> that guys went out and they took it and they were out ice fishing and it was the best thing they could have. Did they all come and home? They don't, e they, they don't <laughs> even remember. They don't even remember that. I mean, they, 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 so to me, ice fishing, it's like you take out the highest alcohol content that we can make. And I think our, our largest alcohol beer that we put out in the brewery is Mike, you might have to correct me. Is it 15? I think it's Rubus Cubus. Is it 15.1 or 15.2 percent alcohol? I think it was whiskey. Yeah, right. my, top of my head, yeah, it's got to be close to that. Yeah. So we, uh, we do a lot of big beers that we put out during the winter, uh, Jacob, that people really <laughs> love to come in and get. Uh, Jacob, a, li a little note for you in yeah. our in our state of Minnesota, there it, it's the land of ten thousand <laughs> lakes, but there's actually over fourteen thousand lakes in Minnesota. So everyone ice fishes all the time. I'm actually the opposite of Jeff. I go for the lightest thing possible in the <laughs> the most quantity possible. I'm out to go all day and have fun. And not just have one beer. I want like twenty beers, man. I thought you were being sensible to start with about you know I want to <laughs> stay alive. You're like, no, I just want to sink a few, you know. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I don't want the beer, to Does the beer itself ever freeze? And I mean that quite seriously. Like, is, is having a higher alcohol beer a sensible consideration if you're spending a... Um, I've had... <laughs> I've had Justin's a big age fisherman. Yeah, Justin's a big ice fisherman. What do you? What's your drink of choice, Justin, when you go ice fishing? <laughs> this guy right here. <laughs> there we go, uh, blissful. Yeah. I was going to say, for, for, the, for the help of people at home, uh, he's holding up the blissful ignorance can. <laughs> he looks pretty blissful. Yeah. <laughs> so, the thing is, is like, so when we're out on the ice, um, oftentimes, like if you're out fishing and you set it down on the ice, the temperature of the ice, temperature of the water, everything, like it can cause your beer to slush up. And so right. if we're some of our more sessionable macro lager options, they do definitely ice up. But the old trusty, dusty, blissful maintains a uh, proper level of viscosity that is a little bit easier to drink. So ABV is integral to successful ice fishing. I, yeah, I love that answer, Justin. And I also just wonder whether the guys you go out fishing with get really bored with you saying that and start to sort of chisel out a little, you know, special Justin-sized hole at the back of <laughs> If he says trusty dusty one more time. Trusty dusty. They are tits deep on beer themselves, and so they are the least amount of board possible. <laughs> the, uh, I don't know about other parts of the world, but in Minnesota, we'll bring uh, a full-size unit on the lake when it's frozen and sleep in it for days and fish. Mm-hmm. So that's how we roll here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of ice fishing in Australia, but it's, it's still it's, interesting. There's nowhere you can ice fish in Australia. No. Like, you know, Although if, I believe, David, you said you have fans in Norway, so they'll probably be interested to hear. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, so, the good people yeah. from Nernia Ur will uh, have them on the show in March. For that's so we're asking for a friend uh, or friends. <laughs> uh, but one I, more question, you, Jacob. Yeah, oh, overindulging oh. in questions, and I'll quick make. Well, I'll make this quick as a question. So we've got four lovely lads on the screen. You guys have been very generous to your time, especially your answers in the chat. However, four lads. How about gender equity? Where do you guys feel on this? Do you have, you know, female brewers working with you? Uh, is this something you care about or look at? How do you feel your industry's traveling, at least in your part of the US? Jeff? That's a good Jeff question. <laughs> That's a good. Um, well, honestly, um, you know, we're all about, uh, one, we're, we, we support everyone out there. Um, unfortunately, we haven't had the opportunity to hire any uh, female brewers. We would love to have them. Um, one, we have, uh, we have uh, uh, a pretty good diversity within our own um, full-time and part-time. A lot of our taproom uh, beer tenders are uh, females. Um, amongst our, uh, we have females in our packaging team. We have females, um, one of our full-time employees. Uh, we have an office manager that's female. We have one of our uh, sales reps that uh, works for Jack that handles all of our on-premise accounts. Uh, she's female. Uh, so uh, overall, we're uh, completely supportive when it comes to uh, diversity um, and equality and inclusivity. Um, we. Uh, so again, it's uh, 
we just haven't had the complete opportunity, but we continue to keep those those options open for us. Um, we continue to support uh, those organizations through uh, charitable contributions. Uh, we're very uh, uh, we've been very supportive of Pride within the U.S. Um, both at our uh, Big Lake location, we also have our Sioux Falls location in in uh, South Dakota that we support those um, and uh, we've done a lot of different things uh, in that area we we will if you want to keep up on things we'll be here I believe in either February or March we'll be brewing um, uh, the brave noise um, which is one of the efforts uh, from a um, uh, with the whole, uh, you know, equality and harassment and uh, things with uh, things there, we'll be uh, supporting that. So we're very diversified when it comes to things. We've been very highly participative with uh, with uh, Black Lives Matter, um, with uh, um, supported those things. Um, so. Again, we're we're we, we like to consider ourselves uh, very open and supportive of all things that are out there. That's a great answer. Thank you. Awesome. Yep. You're welcome. Shannon, let's let's kick over to you. You're going to ask a bit of a question about campfire munchies. That's in the pack. <laughs> we might use that as an opportunity to sort of round things out. Uh, thanks, David. Um, thanks, gentlemen, for joining us today and just giving us all the time that you have. Um, yeah, campfire munchies. Now, s'mores is not really a, a, a food type that's really, you know, it's quite foreign to Australians, I suppose. Um, um, but there was a guest on the call room uh, back in early November, Deeds Brewing, um, an Australian brewer who made a s'mores imperial stout uh, that came in at a whopping 12% um, called By the Glow of the Campfire, which another shameless plug, I've just dumped the picture of it that I took in the uh, the chat. But um, Good work. Follow um, Shannon on the uh, Instagrams. They, um, um, they, they just, it, this was produced for a 12 imperial stouts of Christmas, uh, you know, beer advent calendar. Um, and they discussed it when, you know, when putting all that marshmallow and the graham crackers, uh, and they also added honey to theirs too, but um, they had a really big challenge in how thick the beer became. Um, and, you know, they were really worried about how they were going to carbonate it. So really what my question is, is what kind of challenge, as we all look forward to drinking this beer, um, what kind of challenges did you face making a beer like that with some pretty interesting ingredients? Um, yeah, so the biggest challenge, um, yeah, and like making a big beer, it's always a challenge is how, you know, thick it gets on some of these bigger stouts. Uh, biggest challenge for us was mainly getting the ratios right of trying to find something that wasn't too much marshmallow forward, too much uh, like graham cracker forward. I mean, chocolate is always super easy to get into the beer. Uh, you've got the roasted malts that always lend to a lot of chocolate. Um, and then with the nibs, that always definitely helps bump that up. Um, ours was slightly less than that at about 10%. I think that's what it came out at. Um, so that definitely helps a little bit too, being a little lower ABV in that. Um, 
but yeah, and it always kind of depends too on what you add with, uh, you know, with your infusion. Uh, sometimes syrups and stuff can help also make the beer a little bit thicker. Um, and with ours, we ended up using some, uh, not necessarily syrups, some extracts and stuff to uh, help attenuate or uh, accentuate uh, different flavors in it. Um, we didn't end up having too many issues with carbonation. Uh, we do have an amazing uh, deal. It's a carbonation skid. So we kind of, as the beer is being transferred from the fermenter to the bright tank, it goes through this skid that basically just blasts all the CO2 in before it gets to the bright tank. So we don't even need carbonation stones, um, which is definitely a huge thing with once it gets over, it's basically ready to package. And so I don't know if, I don't feel like that would make as much of a difference, but maybe that does help a little bit um, in compared to it being sent over. Um, but yeah, I don't feel like we had as many issues with uh, carbonation, but yeah, our big issue, not and not big issue, but like our big thing was just uh, like balancing the flavors. So there was a lot of tests done um, before we had it done of sampling tanks, adding a little bit more sampling, adding a little more. Um, and then also a couple kind of dry runs that we had done where we took similar beers um, and dosed them to kind of see where a good starting point would be. Um, I don't know. I'm hoping that kind of answers. That sounds like question, a horrible I... experience to go through all that sampling, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's one of those like armed uh, uncle, uncle, uncle. Thank you very much. That does answer my question. Cheers. It's a great question, Shannon. I'm looking forward to opening that can up next. I think most people in the Zoom room are going to stick around. Um, to all of our Australian listeners, co-hosts, Travis, Warren, and everyone else who's asked a question today, thank you for, uh, for being part of the show today. A big, big thanks to everyone who's joining us from Minnesota. It's been awesome and a genuine honour to have you guys on. Um, feel free to stick around and drink the uh, the campfire with us. Feel free to go and live out the rest of your lives. And um, I, for one, can say that I wish I was heading off to your Sioux Falls brewery tomorrow or your tap room tomorrow just before I headed off to WWE, which I believe is in Sioux Falls tomorrow night, it's everything that I want in a single city. Um, if we want to find you guys on social media, um, let me have a guess. Jack, are you the one to give us the socials? Honestly, I'm not on social. But Jeff. Well, I got that wrong, didn't I? <laughs> you did. Uh, Facebook.com slash yep. the Right. Yeah, I mean, just look up Lupal and Brewing on Facebook. Look up Lupal and Brewing on Instagram. Look up Lupal and Brewing on TikTok. Uh, or go to our www.lupalandbrewing.com on the uh, internet and sign up for our newsletter. You can see all the information and all the cool things that we got coming out. It's a great website. The design ethos and everything you guys have going through, everything is certainly represented there. Thank you again for your time. And um, we're going to press the end of record and um, sit around and enjoy a couple more beers together here on a Saturday afternoon in Melbourne, Australia. <laughs>